Good morning, everybody. Welcome. My name is Brian Carlucci, and I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. If you're a guest with us today, we're glad that you're here. I want to tell you about a series of conversations that occurred in my life 24 years ago this fall. I was a, a freshman in college, and I had gone away up to Greeley from my small town in southern Colorado, and over the course of my freshman year, about six different conversations with my dad back at home occurred, most of them over the phone, one of them occurred over Thanksgiving break, and they all had to do with my faith. This was the first time in my life that I felt like someone was actually asking me, why are you a Christian? Why be a Christian? Why not something else? Why not the other religions? Isn't there a lot of things wrong with Christianity? I was having those conversations with my dad, and the reason I was having those conversations with my dad you know, over the phone in that moment, at, at that time during Thanksgiving uh, break, was because my dad was a strong atheist, and I had grown up in a family where my mom had come to faith in Jesus when I was a little boy, so she had, I see my younger brother in the back, she had the two of us and thought, I need some extra help, which she did, because another one was on the way, and she would need a lot of grace in her life to get through raising us, but my mom came to faith, and, but my dad, for many years, just refused he was fine on his own, and he had a long list of things that were wrong with faith in Jesus, with Christianity, and many of, of the things that he, he held as, as problems or things that I would agree with. Well, I go away to college, and I don't know what was happening except that God was working in his life, and my dad started having these, these questions in our, on, on our phone calls together. And the essence of the questions were, Brian, why are you a Christian? We talked about the problems. We talked about all the other faiths, but that's where we got over and over again. And so for the course of six months, I did my best to, to share the most compelling reasons why I've said yes to Jesus and why I'm following him. And it was amazing to see how God had worked my dad's life through our entire family, mostly the faithfulness of my mom over those years. But one conversation after Christmas break, <clears throat> we get on the phone and my dad starts to tell me all the things he likes about Jesus, all the things he believes in Jesus and how he wants to be like Jesus. And I said, Dad, you're a Christian. And he said, well, probably, but don't tell your mother. <laughs> of course, I didn't listen to that. He's such a punk doing something like that. But I want us to think about today how we would answer that question to someone that's important to us. Why are you a Christian? Maybe you're not. How would you answer the question, why would you consider being a Christian? Today, I want to take you to one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. We're between a couple series the next two weeks, and so Gene and I are just picking some of our favorite passages and sharing those with you this week and next week. And I want to take you to John chapter 3. It's one of the most quoted uh, sections of the Bible. There's parts of it that uh, many people have memorized, even just popular culture has made these certain phrases famous today. But what I want you to see as we read through John chapter 3 and the conversation Jesus is having with a Pharisee named Nicodemus is there are five reasons why in this passage why someone could say I'm a Christian. The passage, if you remember, those of you that are familiar with the Bible, centers around this subject of the kingdom of God and this idea of being born again. And I've called this message today, born again, 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 again. Because, not because, I should say, not because that we enter in and out of faith with God, that we, we're in and we experience new life and then we're out, now we're experiencing death and now we're back in. That's not why I'm calling it that. I'm calling it that because there are many different ways in which a person needs to be born again. 
There's many reasons why a person would say yes to Jesus, follow him, begin to do crazy things like read the Bible and, 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 and try to serve other people and obey the Bible. Why would anyone do that unless there were compelling reasons why? And I wanna show you five of them today. They're all here in the conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus. Um, let me tell you this, uh, just in terms of context with the passage, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and a Pharisee was a prominent religious leader in first century Israel. And it's not quite the equivalent of a pastor or a priest today. The Pharisees held much more culture, cultural and political power than any of us do as pastors. They were in charge of a lot of just normal life within Israel, and they lived very set apart. They often were very wealthy. They lived away from the people. The majority of them were poor. They wore different clothes. Many of them were good. Many of them were corrupt. Jesus spent a lot of time using the Bible to speak against the Pharisees to reform them. And so there was always this conflict that occurred between this ruling class of the Pharisees and Sadducees and Jesus. And the reason was, Jesus was a threat to their power. He was from the very beginning. He was more popular than they were. He was performing miracles. His teaching was exposing the flaws in their own beliefs. And so he was a threat to them. And so it's because of that that Nicodemus arranges this meeting with Jesus to happen in private at night. Because Jesus was scandalous. It was a scandal to be seen with him. Um, I could go on. He was, he was seen with women and sinners and all the things that you read about in the Bible. By the way, the Pharisees are the ones that called him sinners, like some are and some aren't. <clears throat> and so Nicodemus, though, has heard about Jesus. Maybe he saw Jesus. We don't really know. Maybe he saw Jesus perform one of his miracles. Maybe he heard one of his teachings, and he's intrigued with him, and he wants to have a conversation, but it has to be done in secret at night. And Jesus begins to share with Nicodemus this incredible message of the gospel, of what it means to be born again. There are all these different reasons why someone would say yes to God. So this is what it says, John chapter three, verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling class, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time <clears throat> into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my sayings. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Are you Israel's teacher? Aren't you Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we've seen, but still people do not accept our testimony. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I uh, speak of heavenly things? No one who has, has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, which Jesus is speaking of himself here. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life from him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. All right, so this is just packed with meaning. And I want to show you the five reasons why. The five reasons why someone would say yes to this message. Uh, Here's the one reason. It's loving. Another reason it's simple to understand. It's freeing or liberating. It's meaningful. And it's beautiful. I'm going to take you through each of those. Let's start with its beauty. This whole conversation is in context to something called the kingdom of God. Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus find his way home. You see, the kingdom of God is meant to be the home for all people everywhere. All of us belong to God. We're all meant to enjoy the love and the justice of God. And someday, God will right every wrong and this corrupted, broken world will be replaced with what we know as the kingdom of God. The kingdom, the way to describe it is that it's just beautiful. It's beautiful in appearance. It's beautiful relationally. It's beautiful spiritually. It never gets old to be a part of it. It, uh, it, You never get tired of looking at the new world that God has created. You never get tired of enjoying the relationships that you share with other people. You never get tired of the joy that is shared. Now the thing about the kingdom of God and the reason you have to be born again to enter into it is that it is an eternal kingdom. And eternity is one of those mysteries that's hard for us to understand. There's really not been a moment of our life that we can be aware of that we didn't measure everything by time and calendars and clocks, right? Eternity is more than something that never ends. It's different than all of those things. But what I can tell you about eternity, even though it's hard to understand all of those things, is that eternity is a place where the things that are meant to last, last forever. There is no more decay or death or loss or separation It doesn't exist. Everything there is eternal. Death is temporary when you understand the kingdom of God is a temporary interruption of love between people. Eternity is special because love and joy and justice and peace last forever. Now Jesus is wanting to share this kingdom that Nicodemus would have had a concept of. He had read the scriptures in the past and, and saw that someday God is going to come and usher in an earthly kingdom that will be right. But Jesus is saying, here's the surprise. It's happening right now. Verse three, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Saying yes to Jesus and experiencing this new life connects you to the beauty of the kingdom. And it's not just a future thing. This is a mistake, by the way, that modern American Christians make all the time. We think the kingdom of God is heaven far away somewhere. The kingdom of God, we're told by Jesus, is in phases. Right now we are in a phase of it is here and not yet. It is breaking in. The love of God, the justice of God, the peace of God is breaking in, but it is not yet complete. So we live in this period of time where we experience the darkness of the world and we experience the joy of the kingdom all at the same times. Now, because of that, Jesus said, seek the kingdom today. Build the kingdom today. But it's, there's more to come. The best is yet to come. And so this message of being born again is also a hopeful message that someday the struggle will end. So think of it this way. You can think of the kingdom in the two phases. Someday our home, our reward will be the kingdom of God with him. It will be, we're told it will be here on earth. God will come and restore the earth. 
So you won't be floating in clouds like little cherubs. It'll be, it, just imagine it more like the best day you've ever had here on earth. It's like that all the time. The most connected day with other people you've ever had on earth. The day on earth that maybe you took a walk, uh, you took a walk on a trail and you just felt the love of God. It's like that. That's what heaven's like. That's what eternal life is like. Someday that will be our reward. But for right now, what Jesus said, he said, the kingdom of God is planted inside of you and me like a seed. We are in the kingdom and the kingdom is in us. And it is a beautiful message and it gives us hope to keep saying yes to God's plan for change. And so we, yes, we say yes to Jesus because his message and what he's doing is beautiful. The second reason we can say yes to Jesus is that it is a meaningful message. And this is what I mean by that. There's very little meaning in life without a struggle. And so if you think about the most meaningful relationships that you have in your life, or you think about the most meaningful um, accomplishments that you have in your life, most likely you are now on the backside of something difficult, some adversity, even suffering or struggle, right? Our friendships become more meaningful as we work through hard things together. It's not an accomplishment to be proud of unless it was difficult and included failure and hard work and growth and all of those things. Now, the message of being born again and being accepted into God's kingdom is meaningful because suffering is what produced it. Now, here's where the imagery Jesus is using is very helpful for us. Physical birth, or I should say physical life, comes as a result of physical birth. Now, I don't know how many of you have been in a delivery room. Anyone been in a delivery room? That is a room of suffering. (laughs) That is a terrifying room. It was so awful for me. (laughs) Just kidding. Shout out to all the moms. All of a sudden, this baby comes out, and it all seems to stop, and everyone just celebrates, and it's full of joy. But everything before that was agonizing and awful and difficult, right? In years past, in generations past, many mothers would lose their life bringing a baby into the world. It's meaningful because spiritual birth is the same way. It also comes through suffering. It also comes through a death. In John chapter 16, Jesus said this. He likens what he's talking about in John 3. He says, a woman gives birth to a child. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child has been brought into this world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take that joy away from you. What Jesus is saying here is just as mothers go through this terrible experience, he's about to go through this terrible experience of the grave and on the other side come out with joy. Speaking to Nicodemus, he says in verse six, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Here's the imagery Jesus is trying to help them get uh, to understand, and, they, and this would help them understand something future that's going to take place. Jesus would enter a grave someday. He would literally die on a cross. He would enter a grave. Three days later, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, would cause his lungs to fill with oxygen again. 
and for his heart to pump blood again. And it would be the spirit of God that would have him open his eyes and stand up and walk out of the grave. Paul says he's the beginning of new creation. When Jesus says that we have to be born of spirit, he is saying we are entering just as a child is in the dark place of a mother's womb and agony brings that child into the world, so it is with our new life. It's in the dark places, the hidden places that no one else sees that the spirit begins to create life. He nourishes us and then all of a sudden, because of what Jesus has done in the cross and the grave, he brings us into this world. Now, here's the other part of why this is so meaningful. It's not just meaningful because Jesus did something sacrificing for us, that he did something meaningful for us, that he was willing to pay the price. But it means because Jesus can, uh, because Jesus can bring meaning to any bit of suffering in his life, it means that he can bring meaning to any bit of suffering in your life. We all face many different graves in our life. It's not just the wilderness of death. There are many different graves. There's many different desert seasons. He's been through all of them, and he is the one that knows the way through. In the same way that it's suffering that brings life into the world, Jesus says it's through his suffering that he brings life and meaning in the world. And so that's another reason why you can say yes. It's another reason why yes to be a Christian, because there's not a better person to make meaning out of your suffering. Number three. This message is a liberating message. It's freeing. There's this really interesting statement in verse 18. It almost seems like it doesn't fit. It says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. They, they, they stand condemned already. What does that mean? Let me describe it this way. Every one of us has it in us to attach ourselves to build our lives, to love, trust, and serve other things above and before God. The things that are common today are things like relationships, sex, power, money, comfort. These things are not bad, but as Paul warned us in Colossians, he said, when these things, these good things become over-desires, they actually become evil desires because they become the thing that we live for that eventually lets us down. It crushes us. The Bible calls these things idols. This is the essence of sin, by the way. The essence of sin is not making bad choices. The essence of sin is attaching our heart to other things above and before God. That's the essence of sin. So he's saying you stand condemned. I believe Jesus is talking about the part of us that's attaching ourselves to other things. So how does he free us? Let me answer that question with an illustration that I've heard a couple times from Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City. It's one of my favorite stories that he tells. Story goes like this. One day after he was done sharing a message at his church in Manhattan, a woman came up to him. The message, by the way, was on our identity in Jesus, that we are sons and daughters. And this lady came up to him and she shared with him that over the course of her life that she's been five different people. Or more accurately, that she's lived under five different identities. And then she went through them. First, when she was young, she grew up in a very conservative church. And she learned early on that the reason that she's okay with herself is because she was very, very moral and she followed the rules. And she would even say things like this, if I'm moral, then I'm okay. Then I'm not condemned. Then I'm justified. And that worked for a while. But like most people that build their life on that thing, she became very 
ugly and self-righteous and no one wanted to be around her. The expectations she was putting on herself were also very crushing, so eventually she broke free from all of that, had to get away from her childhood faith. And then as she got older, she began to date and pursue relationships with men, and what made her okay, what justified her, was as long as she had a man on her side, or as long as there were men that thought that she was beautiful, she was okay. And she would say things like, if I have the love of a man, then I'm okay, then I'm justified. But the problem was, because of that, she was, choosing, uh, she was making some bad choices and she was staying in relationships longer than she should have, even when they were abusive. And she was finding herself in, in these codependent relationships that were, that were ruined from the beginning as soon as that started. And she was also experiencing these men that were rejecting her because she described it this way, she was oppressing them with the expectations that they would meet all her needs. There's not a better way, by the way, to ruin a relationship than expect that person to take care of you all the time, all your needs. There's only one soulmate, and it is not your spouse, it's not your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance. Not in the sense that it's, there's one person that is made to fulfill all of our soul's needs, and that is Jesus. Now, she's experiencing all this. And so as time went on, she had some friends that pulled her aside and they said, what you need to do is you need to be liberated from your dependency on men. And so what you need to do is you now need to become a successful, independent, powerful career woman. And so she went to college and she pursued her career and she made incredible sacrifices. And this is what she would say during that time, as long as I'm successful and independent enough, then I'm okay. Then I'm not condemned. But there was never enough success, and anytime there were bumps in her career, she received negative feedback or she lost her job, she was crushed just like she was when a boy would break up with her. And she, so she started thinking, well, this can't be the way to build my life, even though those are good things. And then a friend said to her, you know what you actually need to do? You need to be the kind of person that just loves and serves other people. Now think of this. This is such a good thing, right, to be someone that loves others. Philanthropy is such a, a, a gift, but what she began to do is she began to say things like, you know, I'm okay if I'm significant enough, if I'm caring enough. But what she discovered is that there's too many needs in this world and she exhausted herself by trying to be the savior of everybody. And so she gave up on that one as well. So by the time she had come up to Tim Keller, she'd become a Christian. And she said to him, I realized over the years that I had been trying to save myself. First I thought that I was somebody if I was moral, then I thought I was somebody if I was beautiful, then I thought I was somebody if I was successful, then I thought I was somebody if I was helpful. But all along I was trying to save myself and I stood condemned. Then she said this, then I heard the gospel and I realized that someone else had saved me and liberated me from all of that condemnation and all that attempt to justify myself Ironically, she got connected back to a church. She stayed a successful woman. She stayed a beautiful woman and got married. And she lived a very useful life after that. But only after she discovered the one she was made for. She had been liberated from the condemnation of trying to constantly prove yourself. Now here's the other part of being liberated by Jesus that's so important. This is an incredible reason to say yes. Not only... Does he free us from the bondage of all these other attachments that we, we are so tempted and, uh, to, to attach ourselves to and, and prone to trust? But we're liberated from the debt of that sin. 
And the Bible calls it forgiveness. See, when Jesus forgives us, he's not just thinking, I want to forgive the offense. He wants to free us from the actual offense itself. And so we're freed from the lure of trying to always prove ourselves or earn more or be seen more or get more approval from other people. He said, I'm going to liberate you from that. And I'm also going to liberate you from the consequences of those things because you are forgiven. So it's amazing. It's a beautiful message. It's a meaningful message. It's a freeing message. It's also a simple message. Just, this is what Jesus is saying. He said, just look to me to experience that salvation. Just look to me to experience the kingdom of God now. Just look to me to experience the beauty. Just look to me to find the meaning. In verse 14 of the passage we read, Jesus mentioned something that occurred long ago in Israel's history that Nicodemus would have known about. He's making a reference to a story that occurs in Numbers chapter 21. Jesus said this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Here's the story. Israel was wandering in the desert, and as they often did as an entire nation, they began to love, trust, and serve other things more than God. So they're struggling with sin the way we do. And they started to say, it's almost better for us to not be God's people. It'd almost be better for us to go back to slavery, back to where we were. And God would allow certain things to come to correct them. And so we're told in Numbers 21 that there is a plague of poisonous snakes. I'm glad this doesn't happen anymore. And these snakes would bite people. And there were people getting very, very sick, and there were people dying. And the venom of the snake is meant to be a metaphor of what sin does in us. It's like this poison that spreads through our body that eventually destroys everything. Now what happens in the story is God tells Moses... I want you to grab one of those snakes and I want you to put it on a tall pole and I want you to hold up the pole and tell the people all they have to do is look at it. They were so weak, they couldn't get to the pole. All they had to do is just get out of their tent or carry the person out of the tent so that they could see the snake on the pole. Now, here's what you need to know. There's nothing special about a snake, nothing special about this pole, not even very much special about Moses. It was meant to be a symbol of God's saving grace, of his healing grace. Imagine what they thought. It's that simple. All we have to do is look on the symbol that represents the love and grace of God. That's all we have to do. That's exactly what happened. Jesus says the same thing. He says, look at me. Stop looking to save yourself. It's this simple. Look at me. Behold me is the word that often shows up in your Bible, which means more than just to look and to trust. It means to, to, to follow, to internalize. And here's something that's very helpful when you think about faith in Jesus. There's different ways that, that we think about faith often today in modern culture. Some people think it's just believing that he existed or that he does exist. I believe in your reality. That's not the type of faith the Bible talks about when it comes to Jesus, and that's not even what's happening in Numbers 21. This is the type of faith that says, I am placing my entire life in your hands. What's true of you, Jesus, will be true of me. I'm tying my destiny to you. When they looked upon the snake, they were not trusting in anything that they could do on their own. They were beholding and they were hoping that God's grace would be sufficient for all the things that they needed. And that's exactly what happened. 
this part of the message, by the way, was one of the hardest things for my dad to accept, that it's this simple. There has to be more that I have to do. I have to prove myself. There has to be something plus grace. No, it's this simple. In the same way that they looked at the snake and that's all they had to do. We look at him, we behold him, and we say to Jesus, what's true of you will be true of me. My destiny is tied to yours. And so it's a simple message. And here's the last reason why I think we could say yes. This is how we answer the question, why would you be a Christian? Well, first of all, because what Jesus offers is loving. It's a loving message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, one thing I've learned about um, about God being a pastor is that we don't all start from the same place when we think about God. There are people in the room right now that believe that God is this angry cosmic stare waiting to catch you screwing up. There are other people that think God is kind of like Santa Claus. He's just in your life that if you're good enough, he's gonna make your life smooth. There are others that think of God in a more accurate way, that he is a loving father who is always with you, attentive to you. See, that's why Jesus used the story of the prodigal son. He wasn't just trying to describe the way we come back to God. He was trying to describe God himself, that God is the God that never stops looking. God is the father that never stops looking at us. God is the father that never stops preparing a place at the table for us. There's always room for you. You've always belonged to God. The reason the whole thing occurs is because he's always loved you. You know what else this means? For God so loved the world, it means that he loves everyone. It's not an exclusive love. You know, it's not just a Christian thing, but people are so exclusive. We love being better than other people. And it is so sad that at times that we can turn our faith, which is absolutely free, into something that makes us feel superior to other people. For God so loved the world, which means he loved every other in your life. The other political persuasion, the other race, the other economic class, the other generation. For God so loved the world. It's a beautiful message. It's also a loving message. It's simple to experience. It's meaningful. It's liberating. It's all of those things. It's an incredible message. Imagine what Nicodemus was thinking. A man who had spent his entire life trying to justify himself by following religious rules. Do you think as he's sitting here listening to Jesus that he's experiencing a new level of freedom? Do you think he sat there thinking, could it really be this simple? Do you think that he sat there intrigued by the beauty of the kingdom of God coming into his life right now? Do you think he felt loved speaking to Jesus? And we don't know a lot more about Nicodemus, but I can tell you this, that if you keep reading in the gospels, you get to the end where Jesus has been crucified and there were just a couple men Several women who had stayed with him following his death that were going to take care of his body and make sure he got buried. And Nicodemus is one of them. Something had happened that made him say yes. 
He wouldn't have used the word Christian at the time. He would have said, I'm a follower of this, this, this rabbi. But he had his reasons why he would say yes. Now, of all of those reasons, those five reasons, I felt like the Lord said this week, I want everyone to walk away with just one reason. Maybe something I shared shines a new light on the gospel that you haven't experienced before. And there's just one thing that God wants to take away, one experience of being born again that maybe you've never experienced before. Maybe you've never thought of it as beautiful. Never, maybe you've never thought about it as liberating. You've thought about it as forgiving, but you've never been set free from trying to prove yourself in all of these different ways. That's really a common one. But I think God wants to speak one way that he wants to bring new life into your life today. Let me give you another image as we leave. In Luke chapter 15, we're told what happens every time someone says yes. We're told what happens every time someone goes through the pain of spiritual birth. It occurs in a story where Jesus is talking about a sheep that's been lost and the shepherd goes out and he looks for the sheep and once he finds the sheep, he comes home and he throws a party. This is what it says in verse six. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that the same way, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not repent. So think about childbirth for a moment. You know, when Elise was going through that whole thing, calls would go out to friends and family. Elise is in labor. Elise is in labor. When Jude was coming, he's number four. He has three older brothers that are just excited that their baby brother is about to come into the world. Everyone is filled with anticipation. People are praying. Everyone's a little bit worried. But what happens when they find out the baby came out safe? There's a celebration, right? People can't wait to be together. Luke tells us that heaven throws a party every time something like that happens. How many of you have watched the Olympics the last three weeks? It's a drag that the friends and family can't be there, isn't it? But what's been neat is they keep showing us all of these watch parties. People cheering on their loved ones, their friends from far away. And the, the first week of the Olympics, there was a 17-year-old swimmer named Lydia Jacoby, who's from Seward, Alaska. And I wanted to show you the clip, but NBC has flagged it, and we can't, we can't show it in our stream. So, But I want to tell you about it. No one expected her to win. But in the last lap, she, she, I say, was going to say she runs them down. She swims down the two leaders, and she passes them and wins the gold medal in the last moment. After the race, they showed the watch party at her high school in Seward, uh, Seward Alaska. Hundreds of high school kids and friends and family there. You can watch them. You need to go home and watch this video. They start cheering. She catches up to the leaders. They start going bananas. She touches the wall first, everyone loses their mind. <laughs> Chairs are flying. These high school boys are going crazy. I mean, it was amazing. Nothing gets celebrated more than when someone says yes. 
born again. Now, if you've been a Christian for some time, when you first said yes, there was a celebration. I believe every time we say yes to more of God, to being made new in a new way, I think there's a celebration. It's like the win all over again. And so I want to encourage you as we take the elements to consider that one area that God wants to bring new life today. It's a beautiful message. It's a simple message. It's a liberating message. It's a meaningful message. It's a loving message. What part do you need to take home and say, this is for me? This is a way I want to experience new life. Worship team, you guys can come out. And I want to give us a quiet moment before we take the elements together. And so let's bring down the lights. And as is the case most Sundays, this is probably the most important part of our day today. It's just a chance to be quiet and to listen to him. We believe the spirit that has pursued us from the beginning It ignites life in us. And by the way, what the Spirit does is not like turning a light switch on. It's like lighting a fire. The Spirit is in the room, and he wants to light a fire. He wants to help you feel loved. He wants to give you hope in your suffering. He wants to to free you from the expectation that there's something that you have to do for God. He wants to forgive the debt. He wants to free you from trying to prove yourself all the time. He wants you to feel left, or he wants you to leave feeling loved. Those are the fires he wants to ignite. That's the new life that he wants to help us experience. And so just ask him, Father, what part of this message is for me? Of all of those reasons to say yes, which one is my reason in this moment? Father, whatever it is that you're sharing, I bless in Jesus' name, and I ask that you would protect it in my friends' hearts and minds. Maybe they're not experiencing a sense of what you're saying to them, but they just notice your presence. Thank you for that. For those that are struggling right now, Father, I pray that they would see that because you suffered to bring life, you can continue to bring life. For those that need a new vision, I pray they see the beauty of the kingdom. For those who have never experienced grace, I pray that they could just look upon you and receive. For those condemned in their own heart and by others, I pray they be liberated. And for those that feel unloved, I pray that they would hear the love of God.
Father, we thank you for this message. And now as we take the elements, my friends, all this is, this is just meant to be a reminder and a chance for us to return to being grateful and to saying yes and remembering what it means to be born again. And so if you take the bread, Jesus told us that this bread would be broken and it represents his body that was broken for us, his suffering. And we eat to remember not just his suffering, but what it means. So let's eat together. And then the cup that was shared, the third cup during the Passover Seder is the cup of redemption. We are brought back to him. We are set free. We are liberated because of his blood. Let's drink together. Father, help us picture many celebrations. Right now we celebrate you and what you have done as we share in communion together. But for anyone today that repented in a sense that they said yes to you in a new way, I pray that we would have in our minds the picture of a great celebration. And as a church, may we be a place that celebrates anytime someone experiences the new life of being born again. Help us do that. We love you, we honor you, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and worship.